This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And we're uh, right now, it's an exciting time at Zupan's from down under. The Sumo Citrus have, has landed in their produce departments from Australia. Those mm-hmm. things are huge and they're juicy and they're delicious. Yeah, in fact, uh, what I love about uh, Sumo Season... I, that's what I call it around my house, the sumo season, is when you go to your local Zupans and you walk in, typically this is just right at the front of the store. There's, there's no mistaking that these uh, sumo citrus are available for you to take. Well, yeah, it's, it's easy to navigate the produce department at Zupans because it's so beautiful. All the most beautiful, shiny stuff is front and center. And I think it's also, uh, it goes without saying that they have a great selection of apples at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Really tasty and, um, and local, of course. Also take advantage of uh, pork tenderloin right now. The Carlton Farms pork tenderloin, Chris, is only six ninety nine a pound. Uh, that's two dollars off. And if you haven't already uh, s- signed up for the news feed, uh, you're going to get uh, weekly emails telling you about what's fresh, what's local, and how you can save some money. So uh, take advantage of that. And uh, one of the other great things about Zupans and the website Zupans.com is there's recipes there that you can follow. You can purchase the stuff at your local Zupans and then. And go home and make some really great stuff. You were talking about the tacos earlier. Yes, the tacos. And also, the other thing that I'm noticing in the news feed is they have a special on Olympia Provision sausages. Their Italian sausage and their breakfast sausage is hands down, and I'm not just saying this, I wouldn't say it unless I really believed it, the best I've ever had, Olympia Provisions. And right now, they're all... Um, off so um, per package. Very nice. So, uh, again, you can sign up for the news feed at zoopans.com. And then, of course, head in to your local Zoopans, which are where, Chris? Oh, that would be on West Burnside, Macadam, Lake Oswego. And there's, of course, one more spot you can uh, interact with the Zoopans. We're court. Zoopans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's food scene podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson over there from kink.fm. Are you in the studio right now or are you working from home? I'm actually home today. I've been doing about uh, three days in studio and two days outside and Thursdays, which is when we're recording this Thursday, September 24th, happens to be one of my days at home. So I've got a little studio that I've set up in my guest bedroom. Um, which is uh, pretty great because, uh, you know, when I'm doing the radio show afternoons on kink, I can, you know, just take a little nap between songs. Right. And you can invite guests right into the guest bedroom to be interviewed and then go right to sleep. Sure. Yeah. During the interview. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ho- ho- hopefully not during the interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't want that to happen. But nope. oh, listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't wish you a belated happy birthday. I was trying to figure out whether it was 32 or 33. I can't remember. Oh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that so much. No, I, I, turned, I turned 43 yesterday, and pretty much since I turned 40, um, I, I, I quite literally can't remember how old I am. It's just because it's, it, it no longer matters right after this point. It's just kind of like, whatever. Oh, don't say that. What is it? I'm way beyond that. So are you just saying it hasn't mattered for 20 years? How no, old I am? No, I Actually, just, you know what? You're right. It's yeah. only, you're only as old as you feel. 
Well, think, think about it. I was watching, uh, and here's one of the uh, uh, great things about cutting cable. I cut cable right before the pandemic. And so I, I watch the TV that I watch is either streaming or the, you know, over the air HD stuff. And there's actually a lot of selections here in the Portland area of, of channels that you can get on like the HD one HD two channels. So I don't know if you've ever yeah. checked those out, Chris, one no. of, one of them is, you know, it's, it's a T it's a network that just shows old TV shows from the seventies, like Starsky and Hutch and, and emergency exclamation point. They're so ridiculous to watch now. Oh, they are. They are because they were th- this woman, uh, she fainted in a parking lot and I remember looking at her and she looked as if she was somebody that <laughs> today I would say, Oh, that person's in their sixties, maybe in their seventies. Uh, but she was a 45 year old female. So it's just uh, my, I guess my point for this is, is we, we have, we, we've just gotten younger. If you're a 40-year-old, you probably feel more like a 30- or 20-year-old. If you're a 60-year-old, you probably feel more like a 40-year-old. And you probably look more like it, too. So it's Yeah, well, you know, great. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. My mom feared aging so much that she instilled that in me. So it was up until, you know, in my mid-50s that I just feared, you know, getting older. And then one day I realized... You know, that was just all programming that she gave me. I actually, you know, feel great the older I get, the more wisdom I feel like I have. I right. absolutely know I'm not any smarter, but at least my brain is allowing me to fool myself into thinking I have more wisdom. But, you know, less, less uh, hard responsibility, fewer hard responsibilities. My kids are older. They don't require uh, as much of my time. They still do, actually, a little bit. And, <laughs> A little little incident last week, but they're great. They're supporting themselves. Um, you know, I anyway. There's a lot that's changed. Um, uh, although the world is changing rapidly, and that's kind of stress inducing. But that has nothing to do with your age or my age. It only has to do with the older that we get, the less we're going to have to deal with climate change and all this stuff. So maybe there's some positives in that. Well, I think so, I think I think what for for me what I interpreted you saying is because I'm starting to see a little bit of this now that as I am in my 40s is is your perspective is changing and you've got kind of life lessons to use as a reference so that you don't you're not sweating the small stuff or the big stuff the way you used to because you've got some perspective of oh you know what I've kind of been through something like this before I know how this is going to go I'm not going to worry about it the way I, I, I used to I, that's the way I interpret what you're saying. Yes, it's a great interpretation because I've had, uh, you know, I've had three major events in my life, I think. Um, and in a, being able to call up how some of the others turned out, because here's what I really think, Court, and this is not, you know, this podcast is about the food scene in Portland, but there's a lot that has to do with the food scene right now mm-hmm. that is probably relevant. But it's very easy for anyone to imagine gloom and doom, right? That's what our whole society is based over media, pointing out gloom and doom and getting clicks. But it's a lot easier to imagine something not working out and the consequences than it is to imagine the things that happen out on a Tuesday out of left field that are positive, that lead you to different things. For instance, um, go back to how we met. That was just... You know, that is, we've had this podcast for seven years, and that was strictly because Jamie Mustard asked me to be on the podcast 
Yeah. Um, not the podcast, his radio show. Right. Years ago. And it, that went from there. And then I look at, you know, my travel. I've been looking at my Facebook uh, memories feed the past mm-hmm. few weeks. Well, this this time of year for the past four years, I've been traveling in Spain with chefs and people who are paying to go on our Portland Food Adventures trips uh, to go on excellent experiences. Well, 10 years ago, when I was losing my house through the financial hell of the, you know, 2009. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to happen. So you can't see what's coming up that's positive in the future that will guide your life to great places. So I've been able to recently, not knowing what the future holds, to at least have some faith that good things will happen. Lots of contacts out there, lots of good ideas. And uh, hopefully we'll still have a country to be able to be the foundation to move forward. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, and again, there's, there's some things we don't have perspective on, but uh, I think travel is one of those. And in fact, I was going to bring up, you've been posting some of those great uh, travel pictures from your uh, past trips. And as you mentioned, this year's have been uh, postponed, but we, we do have something to look forward to in 2021, right? With some of right. your international travel. It- I'll make it very quick. So we have, for those who are, have cabin fever, or maybe those who don't, who still like to travel, um, we have some excellent opportunities to travel with uh, Chef Javier Canteras and his wife, JL, to Spain, both in April and October of next year. We had a few slots open up. They were previously sold out. But uh, when we moved the trips, there were a few people who couldn't make the new dates. So we can slot... Anyone who wants to have a great time with about a dozen people in Basque Country, Bilbao, San Sebastian, and places in between where Chef Javier was reared and where he learned to cook and where his family is. Uh, we have that. We also have Western Sicily in September with Austri Ensign, and we have done uh, three trips with her already to Italy. This would be the fourth, and she previewed it for me last year from Palermo to Agrigento to Erice, and it's going to be truly a beautiful trip, and we certainly have room on that trip, so anybody's welcome to contact me. And then most recently, if anybody listened to the podcast last week, they'll know this, uh, we're starting to set up trips to the Snake River to Hell's Canyon with, uh, we have one set up next year, July 4th, Jonathan Gill from Ringside Steakhouse. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, We have a four-day raft trip starting on July 4th, where not only will Jonathan be cooking out on the river one night, but he'll be serving all ringside food. So that's something special, too. So that can be all found on PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Thank you for asking, Court. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I, I can just imagine uh, sitting alongside the Snake River and, and Jonathan, uh, I guess he would just be grilling up a steak right there, right? Right. And we start in halfway Oregon, which is just a really cool spot. And it's drivable five, six hours out there to get started. And then they provide everything from the lodging the night before dinner on the terrace to start out at uh, Canyon Outfitters home. Uh, home headquarters and uh, all transportation to and back and every meal along the way. So that's the fourth through the eighth. It's a Sunday through Thursday um, of 2021. So we have nobody signed up yet. We just put that trip up for sale. So um, get on it. 
I, I, for me, it's important to start setting some things uh, into place for 2021. Cause it gives you something to look forward to, set some goals, and uh, it'd be nice to have that on somebody's calendar. I think travel for me has always been something that's necessary because you always, once you set something on the calendar, you always have something to look forward to. No matter how your day goes, you think, oh, God, and whenever, whether it's overseas or even we have a trip to Hood River plan in a couple of weeks just to spend a couple of nights in Hood River just to to get away and do something different. I think it's important. Sounds nice. uh, As long as we can afford it. (laughs) So. We'll keep it going. So thank you. Um, uh, But today, oh my gosh, I feel like we've been remiss. How many minutes are we into this? And we haven't mentioned Anna Caporel from uh, Cooperativa, the new spot down in the Pearl near the river. Um, It's like an, it's an Italian market and it's great to be talking about new, fresh things that are opening instead of either closing or probably going to close, which is, or maybe going to close, which we've been talking about for months. So, uh, but interestingly enough, uh, they did close this. So her partner on this is uh, one of them is Sarah Schaefer from Irving street kitchen uh, most recently. And um, they did close Irving street kitchen. So now that all their efforts on are on putting together this little, uh, Built block long, uh, block wide long um, market, Italian market cooperativa. And uh, Anna goes through what it's taken to put that together, what the thought is, where they want to go with it, because what it looks like today may not be what it looks like in six months, right? Because serving is going to be different. Right. And uh, so I first met Anna when she was at Pizza Maria years ago, but she has a pretty storied background in hospitality starting in San Francisco and and coming up here and um, she'll go through it in uh, this interview. So it's interesting to listen to. She's a very positive person. And I think uh, these times, especially this week, it's nice to have a conversation with someone who's got a positive perspective. Um, and so, uh, again, it's Anna Caporel from Cooperativa uh, this week. And we're really glad to be back to current Uh, Not so live interviews, but within a couple of days. So this was conducted, this interview was conducted uh, on Tuesday, the 22nd of September. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. 
and by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdineta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. How are you feeling? Yes, I'm well. We're wild and crazy, but good. And uh, just trying to hold it all together, you know. Well, wild and crazy is the uh, default mode now, right? Yeah. Um, but I would think it's a good kind of wild and crazy because you're working on, it's nice to be working on a new project instead of trying to fix an old one. So true. I mean, I think of our peers every day and especially the people who have just continued on with hardly a pause. And, um, you know, we did have months where we were working on this, but we were also able to kind of go through a recovery mode and a grieving period, I guess. And um, just all of the people in this industry who just haven't stopped and have been continually just pushing, 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 and the ever dreaded word right now, pivoting. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of, there are a lot of dreaded words now. Yeah, or phrases. Now more than <laughs> yeah. <ever. laughs> But um, yes, no, it feels wonderful to have something new to focus on and uh, every day something positive and full of community and get to open the doors of Cooperativa and welcome people in and see everyone smile with their eyes. If we can't see their, their mouths, you know, at least we get that feeling and that emotion from people, which feels really good right now. Yeah. So how long or when did you start? Planning Cooperativa, how long ago was that? Sure. So Sarah and I were looking to start a project together for the past three and a half years. But um, Cooperativa specifically, um, it's been just over a year. So July of 2019 is when we started on this project. So there had to be a point at which sometime between March and now, you said, okay, we're going 100% on the new project and we've got to shut down. How long did you hold on with Irving Street Kitchen? How long did you hold out hope? And at what point, I, I suppose it made it easier knowing you had another project that you wanted to work on to, be, to drop that. Um, it did. In the end, it really wasn't our decision to make. It was our business partners. So, um, we didn't have to make that decision, and they did make that decision. Um, we spent, I guess, two and a half months talking about possibilities for reworking the space and um, eventually got to a point where it was determined that they just wanted to close the doors permanently. And... Um, we had planned on doing both projects, of course, last year when we started on this project. The idea was that we would be doing both projects simultaneously, but um, it does feel actually really good to just focus on the one project. And, you know, we're in the space. I'm, I'm here often working the register or stocking the shelves or making sandwiches, and Sarah's here 
coming in at 4 a.m. and making the dough. And um, there's something about that that feels really good at this time. I don't know. There's something wholesome about it, I guess. <laughs> um, well, I think any new project is, has got to be exciting right now because you're learning new things about something new instead of learning things about something, you know, that is not going to work for a while at least. Right. And we were fortunate enough to have created, intentionally created a really nimble project. That was part of creating Cooperativa was not just the idea that we had and the reasons for it, but it was also trying to push the restaurant model, I guess, just blow it up a little bit and um, create a new model. So uh, we already were in that position to rethink everything and we started every day saying to each other it's not a restaurant we're never using that term throw that out all of our ideas about that and look at everything fresh and in a lot of ways that made this um easier isn't the right term but <laughs> um we already had shifted into a new way of thinking um and that new way of thinking was also very nimble so when everything happened um, when quarantine started, we did have also a couple months where we were not sure if the project would go forward. Mm -hmm. um, and are very enthused that it did. And uh, we were very excited that the developers and the building were pushing hard for the project to move forward. That really helped us at a time that, you know, no one had any idea what would happen this year. Um, so that felt great. Um, and then we were in that position of, okay, well, we already are looking at it not like a restaurant. We already knew it would need to be different than anything we've never done before. We already knew that we would have um, a dynamic use of the space. We knew that we would focus on community. So a lot of it was just about rethinking what community looks and feels like when you can't see each other's mouths and uh, you can't have very many people in your space. Well, so that's the situation you're dealing with now and everybody is, but at some point that hopefully <laughs> will end. So um, the model that you have from what I could see, and I haven't been there yet, but I've, you know, yeah, I've looked yeah. at your website and I've read about it. And, and interestingly enough, you know, it reminds me of some, old markets I've been to in Bologna, which is probably what you want it to feel like, I would imagine. Um, but at some point, we may get back to what we had, you know, which was the ability for people to think about which restaurant do I want to go to, even though you don't want to refer to your place as a restaurant. Let's make a reservation. Let's go sit down and eat. And let's not think about masks and all that stuff. That's going to happen someday, I would Imagine you don't know. We don't even know anymore. But so um, have you thought about, you know, you've obviously thought about how to deal with this current world, but, and I'm sure you've thought about what it's going to be like when we come out of it. But do you think that your model is, is well positioned for what we have in 2020, 2021? How do you think it's going to look in 2024 and 25? Great. Um, one of the elements that was so appealing to us about this space is it runs a full city block. So it's a narrow space. 
And it really, as soon as we walked in the doors, we thought, oh, this is perfect. Not only is it reminiscent of markets, the indoor markets, but it also just, it always makes us think of traveling to a city and there's that one block that felt like a hub and you stayed nearby and you walked down and you had your coffee in the morning and you walked back and grabbed something for later and then you had a drink outside in the evening um, and you really used that block. And this neighborhood specifically doesn't really have that hub of a block. Um, meaning, I mean, the Pearl does, but meaning this specific little nook that we're in. And we just couldn't believe that there wasn't anything right here near the river. You know, we're a block from the river. We're a block from two different parks. We're two blocks from a third park. Um, we just couldn't believe that there wasn't something bustling right there. And there are so many people living right here. So I think that, you know, long term and the idea of, you know, the initiation of the project was that this would be a mainstay. This would be a space people would feel was theirs in the community and would feel like it's a place that they're going back to multiple times a day. Um, much like you do when you travel. And for us, it was also about, definitely there's Italian inspiration here, but not just in the food, we really are using it as the inspiration for the way of life. Um, that there's just a different space, a different way you shop, a different way you work with your vendors and, um, you know, the roots of the slow food movement and, a lot of the space is about that. And I think that's forever. We're going to look for that sort of, <laughs> there's your bee. <laughs> We're going you to got it. <laughs> I'll yell if it lands on you. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I'll yell if it lands on me. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's forever. I mean, people will want that. And whether they live right here or they're traveling, um, you know, Sarah and I knew Whenever we opened, um, you know, everyone here wants to, if you're in love with food, um, of course you want to open something that as many people as possible are able to visit what you've created. Um, but we knew first and foremost, we want to be a neighborhood spot. We want to feel like a neighborhood spot and then go from there. So, um, we are all those things. We are a neighborhood spot. We hope people want to come and visit us from outside the area. Um, it's a nice little getaway. We're getting a lot of people who live fairly close who tell us, well, I'm coming in because I just wanted to feel like I got away for the day. Um, and I think, uh, you know, people are doing a lot of that, like traveling within their own city exploration. Um, but long-term, I just, you know, the, Cooperative will consider to continue, excuse me, continue to grow and expand. And um, we have eight vendor partners. Those were chosen for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. And they will continue to grow and expand. And that's another exciting element is just to see where this all moves forward. Um, and that's been great fun to work with, you know, Tales and Trotters and Spellet Cafe, all of our vendor partners. Right. So you've got an Italian bent, and I know I met you when you were at Pizza Maria. Yeah. So what? Uh, and I, uh, I don't know if your if your last name is your maiden name or your. It's my married name. name. 
And it's a it's made a married up. name. It's a made up name, not an Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you, I, I guess the question was, do you have some Italian background um, and uh, Sarah as well? Because I don't look at Sarah and think, hey, there's an Italian woman. Um, no, I mean, we both do in distant areas, but not in a way that we grew up with that culture. Um, and for Sarah, this was, you know, she fell in love with the culture kind of late. Um, she came up in, you know, French hierarchy kitchens, and that is really the style that she cooked under and um, moved forward with. And then in the past four years, she, you get to a certain age as a chef or a restaurateur or anyone in this industry, and I think you're looking for where you can go to continue your education. Um, and you also are seeking a place to further your inspiration and root your inspiration again. I mean, that happens in a cycle every couple of years or few years. Um, and so Sarah started traveling to Italy and really for herself, not to bring anything back, not for a business idea, just for herself to travel somewhere that she hadn't spent much time. Um, and she started taking pasta classes and um, working in a couple of restaurants there and just getting settled in there for herself and would come back and just feel different. And she hadn't, she'd always done a certain amount of you know, she's worked in every aspect you can imagine, but she hadn't specifically focused in on dough, pasta, or pizza, or bread until these travels. And she just found this kind of rhythm and tempo and way of life that um, she loved and really was a salve for her soul and re-inspired her as a chef. Um, and so she was pushing herself in that way. And we didn't think that we would start a business rooted in Italian culture or um, an homage even. We just, you know, it led us to having more conversations about food in a different way that we had been. Um, and that felt great. And so we really looked at it as, yes, we are carrying over actually Italian recipes and ingredients and um, things that she learned during her travels, but were more so just inspired by that feeling of community that can carry over and the way that um, the local vendor, the small vendor, the small producers are celebrated and preservation of source and um, that to us was always such a big part of the conversation when we were looking at a new project. And so everything just kind of um, connected. And we thought, well, this doing something that connects us to um, that supply chain in a way that we can preserve those authentic methods here, not necessarily the Italian methods, but how can we bring that here? How can we do that in Portland? How can we create that local supply chain? Or not created, I mean, it is here, but um, bring it forward in a way that makes sense to the public. And that's what it was about. So are you dealing with vendors directly in Italy or are you working with uh, wholesalers and we're working, we're working with wholesalers um, and, you know, one of our vendor partners is Real Good Food. So mm -hmm. 
they of course are just you know importing and distributing from Italy and um, and then we have uh, Pinolo gelato um, and I think there's a potential to bring more specific items in that we're looking for, that the public is looking for. Um, but right now we're really working through our wholesalers and our vendor partners. Is that the second, would that be the second spot in Portland where one can procure that incredible gelato? It is. Yes, absolutely. The, so we're now we're on the West side because, exactly. you know, I've always said, I've been to the, you know, I'm, I'm in Portland, not that much, but enough where if I'm down on division and there's a long line at that other place, which is great, yes. you can get right into Panolo Gelato and it's a special, it's really great. You don't have to wait and sit down and, en and enjoy an affogato while you're doing it. Absolutely. Yes. And we, um, long term, there'll be a gelato bike, a little gelato cart on a bike. But um, we postpone that to next year because we can't actually serve from it this year, given the restrictions. So right now you'll see, just like at the shop, uh, pre-packed pint, half pints and pints. And we do the seasonal rotations to mimic what Sandro has in his shop. Mm -hmm. And that will continue to evolve and grow. And then maybe next summer, I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. But um, our vision is to have that cart on our street corner, be able to serve gelato from the corner, which would be amazing. Uh, that would be great. Um, I think it'll do really well. I find it interesting that Portland turned into an ice cream city. It, it has its waves, right? It had its pizza wave and then its ice cream wave. And of course, Sarah was instrumental, I think, in the fried chicken wave, which is still kind of going on. It's a long wave. Yes. But I wonder how many different versions of fried chicken a city needs. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, is she happy to be not to kind of get away from it. I'm sure she's still going to, she's still going to make it at some point, but. Yes, she is happy for the break. I, I believe she's happy for the break. And um, definitely it feels good to her to be working with dough daily instead of working with fryers daily. Um, there's something a little different about that, but um, there may be fried chicken in our future. I, it's not what we're focusing on right now, but um, it was such a big part of Irving Street Kitchen. It feels funny to leave that behind. I, I, I could see it as a, as a special on a particular day of the week. That's the day for fried chicken. Not that I'm trying to program you, but I could see <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things Sarah's known for, and it was so good. Why not? So I think it would be outside of the walls of Cooperativa. If we, if we entertained fried, kitchen again, fried chicken again, it would be... Um, in a that's the name. You just stumbled on the name, Fried Kitchen. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually a good name. <laughs> Pardon me? The possibilities are endless. Yeah. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat again, Ringside Steakhouse. That's right. 75 years. The Peterson family has owned it. I wonder if we're going on. No, it's 75. 75 plus, plus one, I think, maybe. Right. But the 75th year was a challenging one for Ringside as well as other restaurants. And, you know, they've been doing their kits, their steak sales uh, since uh, April or May. And now, in the middle of August... They're opening their doors and they're taking reservations for indoor and outdoor dining. They've got a tent set up. 
outside. So I am really happy that uh, tomorrow night, Friday, we're going to celebrate the, op- the reopening of Ringside Steakhouse and the reopening of dining out. It's so nice to be able to do that again. Yeah, and, and you pointed out making those reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or using the uh, Open Table app, but that's the only way you can do it. You used to be able to maybe show up and be able to get into the bar or possibly get a, a table if you were lucky, like on a weeknight, but now you need to do a reservation. They have to be. They have to f- figure out their seating plan. So, make a reservation. And then there's another thing that's exciting. We've been hearing a lot uh, about what's going on in Portland, and some of it hasn't been that good. But this is great news: an opening of a new place, which is a partnership between the Peterson family of Ringside, and also our friend Micah Camden of Blue Star Donuts fame, fame and Little Big Burger fame, and of course, one of my favorites, uh, Super Deluxe. He's opening in the former Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside, I think it's 26th, um, is uh, Rock Paper Fish. This, is, this speaks to me, New England style fish and chips with a Northwest uh, personality too. So uh, Micah, when he does something, um, you know it's going to be good, and for the Peterson family to be involved, they're not putting their name on just anything. So this would be something really cool to check out. That, unlike Ringside now, is takeout only for a while until things we get out of this COVID situation. That's right. So don't forget, make those reservations for both indoor and outdoor for Ringside Steakhouse at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out Rock Paper Fish as well. That should be fun for you. I got a couple of questions. What is, you've worked with Sarah for quite a while. How did you stumble upon Sarah? Because you, uh, let's go through your, your, at least your Portland background. Sure. But why don't you take us through your Portland kitchen, back, your dining, your restaurant background. For Sarah, it, um, we should go actually further back than that, just because we have this kind of funny situation where Sarah and I had never met until um, I started at Irving Street kitchen and um yet our paths it's alarming to us that we never we just can't believe we never met we had so much crossover we know so many of the same people um i opened jardiniere in san francisco in 97 and she was at gramercy and then opened 11 madison um and we had people coming to work at Jardiniere from Gramercy. And then we had people from Jardiniere moving to New York to work at 11 Madison. Um, And then of course here, when I moved to Portland, um, I was pregnant with my second child. And um, And that was when, how long ago? It was in 2005. We arrived at the same time. We have the same <laughs> Portland perspective. Yes. And um, I was told by quite a few people that uh, as a woman in the fine dining industry, I probably would not find a job and um, that maybe I should consider something else. And I uh, started out, you know, just I couldn't believe that that was the case at the time. Um, but it actually ended up working out well in that um, 
I decided, you know, I needed a different schedule anyways, second child and my first child I had while opening a restaurant with my parents, my stepmom's a chef. Um, and so I knew that I needed a daytime schedule. So I worked at Grand Central Bakery for seven and a half years um, mm -hmm. as a manager and um, R&D and kitchen liaison and um, held a host of positions. They were great. And always, every time I got a little bored, I would say, what about, what if I did this? And they really supported me through that. And it was a great time to work uh, in that cafe lifestyle for seven and a half years, meaning early mornings, but not late nights. Um, <laughs> and then- and Very early mornings. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, did occasional consulting uh, during that time and then um, left to open Pizza Maria with Sean Coyne. Um, and another link, uh, Sean and Sarah worked at Gramercy Tavern together at the same time. Um, so they know each other as, and Kristen Murray. So all three of them worked together there. And, um, and of course, as you know, we closed Pizza Maria um, after a year and a half. And um, I went to Ned Ludd and Elder Hall and... Um, that was great and you know another shift in experience uh, and then the position at Irving Street Kitchen came up and I realized how much I missed that big kind of nighttime vibe um, in the restaurant industry and that was a great shift for me it was a ton of fun um, you know restaurants like that I'm not sure if they'll come back at any time. Well, there weren't a lot of them in Portland. I mean, most of the restaurants you would have found like Irving Street Kitchen would be, you know, uh, like Imperial, a, you know, a big hotel type restaurant. And so those we hope will still be around. But but when I think of Ir Irving Street Kitchen, you you think of a, like a big city vibe, like a San Francisco vibe. Yeah was fun and wonderful and Sarah and I just really connected and uh, we even now she'll bring up someone and say oh well uh, he worked for so-and-so and I'll say you know that person I mean we knew all and worked with so many of the same people it's just it's funny we're always unraveling that um, and I think we're a good complement to each other um, and so creating that partnership at Irving Street and then carrying it over, um, you know, we looked at spaces for, well, prior to this space for two and a half years, we entertained projects and spaces and um, kept ourselves busy with some consulting and um, while running Irving Street and um, we were able to really refine what we wanted to do and be and what we wanted to change. And that feels great. So what is your, what is, um, what impresses you most about Sarah? So if you had someone come into your life who hadn't been there for a while and you tell them what you're doing now, which is kind of what you're doing. Right. Um, and you were to talk about your business partner, what would you, what would you say um, makes you happiest to be uh, business partners with Sarah? Um, uh, she's, well, she's very supportive and communicative, and that feels great in a business partner, but as a, as a person and as a chef, um, 
not only is she extremely talented, which is always an inspiration, but um, she's very open. So open to explore a new idea, open to explore a better idea, um, the willingness to evolve. She pushes herself very hard, um, but she leaves that pretty open-ended as well. So she's always willing to evolve an idea or even a way of working. Um, and that's not something I'm always finding in the industry. Um, and that's been a great inspiration. I love working alongside someone like that. That's how I work. That's how I push myself. Um, and so that continues to inspire me. And she's, she's talented, not just in one specific niche. And there is a lot to be said for those people who are. I, I also appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. But she really... She herself is inspired by kind of that rabbit hole experience. Like she'll, she'll grab a new idea and she'll just go as far as she can on her own um, path of discovery. And I love that. I love seeing that. I love tasting everything along the way as she's doing that. Um, <laughs> she well, that's good. It's good to have a good taster on board. Right? I love being good. <laughs> so what do you think she would say uh, – best compliments her about you? Um, oh, good question. Uh, well, we had to get there. I had to go. I, know, had to go I, know, I should have called her up here so she could <laughs> say. Um, probably, um, I, I mean, some similar, of course, not my cooking skills. Um, I can cook, but not in the kitchen. <laughs> I can, I'm a good sandwich maker. Um, but uh, what's your best sandwich oh right now the prosciutto what do you make the best if you were going to make if i was going to say i'm coming over let me have your best sandwich well today i would make the prosciutto sandwich it's very simple beautiful it's on the pizza bianca um mm -hmm. make every morning and then uh thinly sliced prosciutto fresh mozzarella arugula and a little bit of garlic oil and it's amazing um that's been very popular. We love making it. And we just started the mortadella sandwich, which is awesome. See, you're, you're living cooperativa because the answer was all about business. I was just kind of thinking of your oh, kids. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's, no, there's none of that right now. It's all. Yeah, that's <laughs> this is it. Um, right. So what would Sarah say? I, um, <laughs> I'm uh, a good combination of, um, she tells me, you know, focused, determined, and patient, and um, that I also push her to evolve and continue to push herself, um, and I think that we do the same for each other. Um, so if I was looking at the right LinkedIn profile, oh. I happen to see that you uh, majored in forestry management. Yeah, forestry that, management. So what, a, what an interesting time to be interviewing you right after... Yes. The uh, well, they're still going on actually, yes. the, the fires. But, um, have you ever thought about what your life would be like now putting out fires instead of putting out fires? I know, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of reasons why I um didn't become a, a forester or you know, um natural resource manager of some sort. Um, and the main reason is just I fell in love with food. And, uh, and, of course, and it was, you know, my chef mentor, Tracy Desjardins, who 
actually convinced me to drop out of school. And every time I tell her that, she's like, did I, did I really? Um, I was at the end of, I had actually transferred from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to San Francisco State. So I was no longer in the forestry major, but she convinced me that food was my life. It was very clear to her that food was my life. Um, and since then, I haven't looked back often, um, but I can tell you one of the big reasons I, I veered away from forestry is um, I like being able to push forward ideas, decisions, create, you know, I like to be a visionary and um, the bureaucracy would have killed me <laughs> in the uh, forestry. But, um, you know, I think that that connection to outdoors and um, either what's naturally living in our space or what we plant in our space is still very much there for me. So how are you, we're, we're in a very strange time right now, especially, you know, this interview is, uh, what is it, September 22nd? So we're five days after Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed and all the, it's like a shit show out there. How, how are you uh, personally mm. right now? How's your mindset right now? You're opening a new business. Um, obviously there are so many issues on the table that have to do with what's going on and the uncertainty going forward. How are you, how are you managing? I'm all right. You know, I also have two kids. So if you want to layer on top of that, <laughs> more. Are they, how old are they? Uh, 14 and 17. My son is just starting his first year of high school and my daughter is starting her last year of high school. And are they do remote? Are they doing it remotely too? And how much do you have? To, are you participating in that? Um, of course, you know my daughter. She's seventeen. She really is managing herself. Um, my son, it being his first year of high school, um, we're trying to balance that and be there for him. And so, um, my husband and I kind of balance. It's all new, so we don't know. I guess is the final answer. But we're trying to balance that schedule and be supportive. Um, I think of the other parents who, either if you're a single parent, you know, single working parent, or just any scenario, it's not easy right now. Um, for me, I, uh, I meditate, um, and I always have, and I can't imagine being in this industry without that great tool. Um, I am a, uh, <laughs> maybe what Sarah would um, say about me is, I am almost always every day, every moment can find the positivity and can find um, a, a way to move forward that feels like uh, it means something to us. And um, so finding value in everything we do, uh, I think it helps that when we opened the doors of Cooperativa day one, it was so clear that people were looking for something new and um, we had made this decision at a certain point to when the construction crew got to the point where they took the paper off of the windows and we're a whole block of paper, we're a whole block of windows. So there's paper along a whole block of windows. Um, and people had been watching something happen since, you know, construction started in January, early February. And, um, we, the construction crew took down those papers and we had a decision to make. Do we put the papers back up so that we have this big reveal? And um, I really wanted for the public to see 
what happens every day as we moved closer to opening. Um, and there's you know a lot of reasons for that. One was you know selfish. I kind of want to pull back the curtain on food and beverage industry, and I want for the public to be able to see what um, what it takes to bring that food to the public and all the work that goes into it, all the people involved, all of the farmers, all of the ranchers, all of the gelato makers. <laughs> and um, I thought that was an important element, but also I thought, you know, they have nothing else to watch right now except for their TVs and their phones. And this is real life and this is right in their neighborhood. Um, and so we didn't put up the papers and I'm so, thankful for that decision because people mention that again and again, like how much fun it had been to watch what happened every day. Um, of course, I have that feeling. I'm like, I know I do silly dances all the time, every day. And I'm sure they, they saw me do silly dances <laughs> every day when I came in, but um, it really, that was important. And that has provided a lot of inspiration since we opened the doors for me, hearing from people that um, this matters to them and this makes a difference in their day. And we're consistently reminded how feeding people um, and making connections through food does improve our lives and that sense of community. Well, I think that's one of the virtues of Portland, I think, before this, you know, I've lived a few places, but I think in Portland, one of the things that has been most impressive is that, generally speaking, the the people who are dining at a, a lot of the restaurants that you see on Eater, um, uh, those people are in tune with where their food came from and the processes. And, you know, I think a lot of people are aware of some of the challenges that restaurants had before this even started. You know, you had your, your balancing the front of the house and the back of the house and minimum wage issues leading up. And now I, I'm just, I, I think people are even more in tune with it. I mean, when that tip thing comes around and all you've done is pick up a cup of coffee in the old days, I was thinking, well, what, what, you know, I'm just picking up a cup of coffee and now you're realizing they have to make a living. And, and I realized that before, but there were, you know, everything was much more robust and now it's not as robust. Right. And I think it's okay to have those conversations too. We wanted you know, when I have someone say, well, why, why aren't you open on Sundays? I really want you to be open on Sundays. <laughs> and it's, you know, amidst a pandemic, it's a little easier to say, um, you know, right now, we all need a day that we rest and we kind of put the space to sleep and everyone has that day with their families. And it's a little easier right now to be able to talk about that and talk about ourselves as humans, where I think many times um, in this industry, when we're service focused, we, we focus a lot on the humanity of the guests or the consumers or customers. Um, and we don't focus as much on the humanity of the, the staff and the vendors and the people who bring everything forward. And um, I'm also thankful for that time where we can have those discussions and, um, and allow ourselves to pay more attention to that. Well, they're going on now. And uh, certainly within the industry, those discussions are going on in Portland and elsewhere. And, uh, and I think consumers are probably more aware of those issues 
than they were before. I think also it's, it's a two-way street. Um, restaurants, I mean, the hospitality industry was, has, is there so that people can have an escape and an experience. And that comes at a cost, and people are hurting right now, too. So one of the catch-22s is for businesses like yours to get off the ground and other businesses to just gain back some footing that they had. They're relying on a consumer base that's unsure right now, too, not only financially, but also, how do we go about this? How do we go about dining? Um, what, what is this? <laughs> can we go out? Can we go inside space and sit down and pull the mask off? How do, it's a tough one. It is. It is. I mean, this week we're, we're going to have another staff meeting about winter. You know, what, what is our master plan for winter? What does everyone feel safe? Um, doing, not doing, um, what might come up for the business and um, really facing that reality now so we can make some good plans moving forward. Um, you know, most of the space is pretty easy to control during that time for us. Um, of course, it's the, we, we do have a portion of our space that is a bar. And that is different. So the most of those discussions revolve around the bar. And I can tell you the number of people coming in who really, really want to sit down and have a long, leisurely meal and a drink. It's, it's incredible to me. I didn't expect that. Um, and when we have the, when the air quality is good and we have uh, our full block of outdoor seating, people are really enjoying that being able to sit down and um, enjoy a space. And the first day when we offered to make someone their espresso in, uh, in their porcelain cup in, instead of in a to-go paper cup, I thought they were going to cry. They mm. were so excited and thankful <laughs> and said, you know, it's been six months since I've sat somewhere and had my morning coffee in a cup aside from my house outside of my house so um you forget sometimes that it's those little things that can add positivity and cheer to someone's day in a really tough time and there's so many big things for us to focus on right now there's so much that we need to consider there's um a lot of awareness that we need to communicate and i think that um we can't lose sight of the humanity and the connection and the simple ways that we have to care for each other and also i'm sure you got to be cognizant of that the fact that people are a little uptight right now in many ways for a lot of reasons pardon me there's so little that everyone can control right now Right. Everybody's got their own shit. No matter what you thought their lives were like, you don't know what they're going through right now. So um, it takes, you know, it takes some compassion. And I think, um, you know, as if it was, if it, the hospitality industry wasn't challenging enough before, and now you got to balance. There's so much to balance. There is. So, I mean, do you ever wish you were, did, did, during this, I mean, you were starting a new project, so I guess not. But have you ever, even before March or since, said, God, I just wish I wasn't in this business. I, I, just, I could step off. I think that it's uh, flipped for me and, and for Sarah. Um, we had one point where someone said, you know, well, I'm sure during this you just want to leave and get high-paying corporate jobs. And I laughed so hard. I thought, wouldn't that be 
amazing if that was what we wanted because that probably is a lot easier. But um, in many times in my life, uh, you know, I started working in restaurants when I was 17. I'm 45 now. And um, many times over those decades, I've, I've paused and asked myself that question. And um, this, it is not a choice for me. It is just, it is my purpose. It is where I'm meant to be. I cannot imagine doing anything else. I'm meant to um, feed people and serve people and care for people through food. Um, and that nurturing aspect of what the way food connects us is, is, it's what always comes back to me again and again. And wherever I am, whatever, you know, whether it's a cafe or a fine dining restaurant or a market or um, this space of cooperativa, there, there's just no other option for me. So I think for Sarah and I both, once knowing that in some ways helps because it gives you that determination and drive to push yourself through the tough times, but also um, to let go at certain times and remind yourself of why you're actually there. And, um, you know, there's no question in my mind that this is what I want to be doing. And um, I, I love knowing that every day and finding ways to um, make it more relevant on a daily basis. And also if the restaurant model's broken and I've decided this is my life, then it's my responsibility to find new ways forward. And wow. that's I'm impressed by that. Do you get to travel much? Have you traveled <laughs> much in your life? I um, mean, you've got kids now, so that's almost <laughs> not the last 15 years. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've done a little bit, but in terms of, you know, going to Italy and just really enjoying yourself. Yeah, we were supposed to go to Italy this spring, of course. That was the master plan, is that we would have um, gone to uh, Italy, New York, and L.A. for some food travel. Um, and I would have been there right now, today. I would have been, been? Oh my in Sicily right now. So I'm constantly looking um, to try to... We want to, if, if it's not next year, I, we might freak out if it's not next year. But um, yeah, I mean, prior to kids, definitely. Um, and not much since having kids. And uh, another element of this work is that, you know, when I look at all of the people I kind of came up with um, through the industry, especially the people I started with in San Francisco, um, I'm one of very few with children. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's hard to believe that you've done what you've done with two kids the age that they are, yeah, ages that they are. You know, opening a restaurant with my family, I, Lily, my daughter, when she was a baby, she was in the, um, you know, we had a pack and play set up in the prep kitchen. And, um, you know, she, she was there with, you know, whoever was prepping for the day, she was right there watching. And, um, you know, she really came up in this and then Smith did as well. So I, the other element of kind of that Italian way is um, it's, it's a family affair. So if you do it, everyone's there with you. And I think there wasn't really, there hasn't been much room for that in the traditional restaurant model, especially, and fine dining who wants 
that they're trying to get out in a way you don't want to be exposed to reality in that moment. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's the beauty of what we're creating now is Sarah and I really feel like this is something we can, um, we can age through (laughs) and, uh, see the next few decades and, um, and few decades uh, that's a long yeah, period heck yeah i was um, just gonna ask you so you know i think you're kind of out of the um daily parenting woods in about five years based on what you said uh, yeah somewhere around there and so um do you want it you know is there anything that you have you've dreamed about doing sure. for your whole life that you will be able to do when you have I, I won't call it a full empty nest but a partial empty nest yeah, sure i mean i um, well, I believe that there were some things that we couldn't, we didn't necessarily feel, we didn't feel it was as easy to accomplish with kids, with young kids. We're also very much of the mindset of like bringing the kids along for the ride. You know, they're, they're there with us, whatever we do. But, um, yeah, I think definitely looking for more travel. I have you know, I've just this year started to realize, oh my gosh, um, in four or five years, we're going to be empty nesters. So, um, I realized that two minutes into the conversation after yeah. you said that. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not getting their ages. Um, you know, I'm so focused also on like, I want to create a better lifestyle for our staff so that like my managers don't feel like they have, I want for them to feel like they, if they want to start a family, they can. If they don't, they don't. And if they want to travel, they can. And so um, I'm really focused on that for them. But I guess for myself, yeah, I also want that. I want to do more extensive travel. I want to be able to, um, you know, I haven't taken off um, large amounts of time in a number of years. And uh, that would feel great to take, you know, a month or two and do some extensive traveling. Um but no, I mean, I'm sure other opportunities will open up, and uh, that's that's the thing. You can't see, you can own you can't see much positive and opportunity in the abstract. Much opportunity comes one's way when you're not expecting it. So uh, certainly one can make opportunity, but the greatest things in my life have just happened on a Tuesday. I happen to meet this person, and that changed my life. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to follow the breadcrumbs of your passion. But I think, you know, if you're doing that, and you're putting self, yourself in that position, then absolutely those that opens up. And I feel that every day, something new opens up that feels invigorating and um, stimulating and motivating. And well, that's good if it happens every day. So let's go to let's get to something simpler. And we we're coming to a close here soon. But so what's your favorite pizza? When I, you know, when I met you, I think I was coming in and I was trying to I've stopped lobbying for the white clam pie <laughs> all over town. Uh, I think I've just come to the conclusion that uh, Pizza Jerk has a good one, and I'll just go with that. And I have some friends in New Haven who can actually ship a few out to me. That's okay. But they're not as good as eating it live. So anyway, I'm sorry to go through that whole thing. What is your, what's your favorite pie? What do you, what do you order? So once again, uh, and if we get to know each other more, you'll know this about me. I can't stand picking favorites. Um, I like to rotate. Uh, and that's with everything. Yes, with my favorite musician, movie, etc. So favorite pizza, I rotate. It's kind of like a given day. 
sort of thing. I love all of our pizzas, so that's wonderful. Um, the broccoli rub, I'd say, is like this hidden gem that people try and then can't stop coming back for. It's that one for me, I definitely have one day a week where I have to have it. Um, roasted broccoli, uh, fresh whole milk ricotta, and abruzzo sauce with uh, Calabrian chili, anchovies, sun-dried tomato, and olive. It's amazing. Um, I'm open. That wouldn't be the first thing I would think about is broccoli. Um, they're all pretty unusual. And then the potato pizza, it's very straightforward, very um, focused pizza, thinly slivered potato slices roasted in the oven with um, on top of the dough um, and uh, rosemary, a touch of onion and sea salt, a little olive oil. It's perfect. It's so good. Um, so I like getting that. And then um, I get a side of Calabrian chilies and that's how I eat the potato pizza. Um, but that sounds good. So yes. can you just come in and order like East Coast style? I want sausage and onion. No, no. Um, so it's a totally different style. Um, it's made uh, the pizza taglio, so by the slice, and um, which means, uh, well, if you've been in Italy, if you've been in Rome, I'm sure you've seen the spots where you dart in and you see the big pans of pizza that are already made, and you don't get to choose what you're, you don't get to do a make your own. Um, okay. You choose from the selection that's there, um, but you know as many slices or uh, cuts as you'd like. And we do a full cut most commonly, which is like a six by six slice. But you can do a smaller cut if you'd like. Um, and the idea is hopefully you try more than one. It's kind of built for that, um, and come back and try them all. And you can make a whole pie out of it. So if someone wants to have a whole pie, I recommend that they get six slices, have us cut them all in half and make a box of pizza to go. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a good recommendation. So uh, give us all the particulars, the Instagrams, the website, the whole thing. CooperativaPDX.com. Instagram is Cooperativa PDX, and uh, we're at uh, 1250 Northwest 9th Avenue in the Pearl District, right near the river. And um, So what else is that near, just to... Oh, sure. Fields Park. So if you think of what most years we'd be doing right now is we'd be at the smoked event right there. Right. Um, and uh, we're a block from Taylor Springs Park. So we're between uh, Northwest Overton and Northrop. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, quick walk to all those spaces um, and plenty of outdoor seating as long as the air quality is great so you can sit here and relax. Or We have a lot of people who pack for the park or go on picnics, especially right now. Um, so given you're a positive person, what do you have? I, this is putting you on the spot. Sure. But the industry's in a tough position right now and people are in a tough spot. Yes. Do, you, do you have any prevailing thought right now to that you might suggest to help people get through some tough times? Um, you know, I recommend finding that connecting thread for you. So whatever it is for you that comes up time and time again, that allows you to feel connected to people. So if for me, that's food. Um, maybe for you, it's engaging over podcasts and eating good food. Oh, no. It's, I like the <laughs> podcast, but I'd rather be eating. Traveling and eating. Um, <laughs> but, but, right, this is a thread to that, right? Um, yes. So I think it's finding that thread. I mean, that's 
for my kids too. I want them to find that thing that for my son, it's skateboarding. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to find whatever it is and just let it tether you in some way and find ways to perpetuate it. Well, I'll say because there are people listening to this that haven't certainly don't follow me elsewhere, but I'll tell you what's been good for me. Um, and it relates to food. I, and I thought of this based on what you were just saying, but um, you know, have you seen the, have you seen the, um, what's the movie on the social? Uh, the social dilemma. Yeah. The social dilemma. I have not. It's scary as hell. So part of me wants to just give up Facebook and the whole thing, but I mean, I, I have so many connections there and, um, I'm sick of getting my news there, but one of the things that I do love is that memories f feed every day. And this week in particular marks a week that I haven't been in Oregon for six years because with my Portland Food Adventures trips, we've always been traveling. And I had four years in a row where I traveled with Jose of Atala to Barcelona. And so today, my memories feed is just filled with pictures of great people enjoying great food in incredible settings. And so for me, that's been um, one of the things that has helped me get me through these times is living not only in the moment, but in the past. So I have a Chromecast that just shoots my past pictures up on my TV, put the Sonos on and I look at I dream of getting back to where we were because I'd love to be traveling when I'm supposed to be right now and hope we will be soon. So thread. I mean, I agree. I think having that thread and care, finding a way to care for people. I mean, I think everyone needs that more than, a, more than ever before that dreaded term now more than ever. <laughs> I just saw someone that said they were going to blow it someone up the next time they heard that. So be careful. <laughs> Please, no, no, who's listening to this. Um, no, but I really, I do think it's an important time for us to find a way to care for others. And it, it does make you feel better the more you can do that. So just as a matter of reference, that now more than ever line, I worked in ad agencies for years and we had a bank client in 1987 and the stock, when the stock market crashed. Yes. I came up with that line and I thought I was a genius now, now more than ever. It's been so used. It's crazy. It's probably been used forever before that, but you know, I, I hadn't seen it before, but now I've seen it a million times. Um, but, but so now more than ever, people need cooperativa. And so I appreciate it. You know, we, we took a little break from doing new podcasts for a while because I think the stories of impending doom and trying to figure out the restaurant business, they were good for a couple of months. I mean, not good, but they were, after a couple of months of listening to them, there was not much new to hear. Right. So yeah, I'm really, I'm trying to find some new, fresh perspectives, which is what you have. And so thank you for, for um, doing I, I was remiss and didn't mention by name all of our eight vendor partners and our nonprofit partners. Um, and if Go I ahead and do that. See, we're in a new era because I've never been a bit, I've been a promoter, but Right at the Fork has not been a forum for new business PR. So right. we haven't done it. But now I think we're in a position where we should be doing that. So well, go ahead and mention well, your... Um, so Spella Cafe, Tails and Trotters, uh, Pinolo Gelato, Cowbell Fine Cheese, Evans Farm, Sparrowhawk Farm, 
koi and company and real good food. Um, and then our nonprofit partners, uh, No Kid Hungry, SEI, Nativity School, Pear, and Stone Soup. And oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Stone Soup is great. We've done some great things with them, too. So, yes. I, do you have event space? Where you, you have event space where you are, do you know? Uh, we have, there's a portion of the bar that we envisioned would be used for events. Um, and someday, I'm sure it will again. <laughs> when we say there will be events. Wine club, when Wine Club starts next month, um, we'll have some kind of distanced uh, tastings in that area. Um, that we're mapping out right now. So we will be able to use it in some ways. Well, good. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy because you got a few things going on over there. And I will see you mask to mask soon. I hope. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Oh, my, pl my pleasure. It's been real. This is actually the longest conversation we've had. Yes, this is true. So, true. so I appreciate that opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you, Anna. Thank you very Take much. Care. All right. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 